Well, folks, we, we have made, we've, we've begun the journey, okay? And, and a couple of more Sundays, and then I'm going to get into the gifts, and we're going to dig into them, and I don't know how long that's going to last, uh, but, but we're going to do that. Today, I, I want to I look at something. There, there's, there's two positions in the church. There, there's basically the position that, that many of the gifts were temporary, and then there's the position that no, all the gifts are permanent. And so today, I'm, I, I just want to—I want to look at those two positions. I want to look at the at the, the the passage that's used, the arguments that's used. I want you to understand uh, why many of us have been taught what we've been taught, and why some of that is not what Scripture says. Okay, well, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I was. Uh, for 40 years, I was basically in, in the position where uh, uh, some of the gifts were temporary. And then I began to dig into Scripture, which I'll talk more about in a few minutes. And, and I found that uh, I couldn't find a place where it said that. And so uh, we're going to look at that today. And we're going we're gonna to examine that. And, and hopefully when we get through, things will be a little clearer and some of you will be a little more relaxed and and some of you will be really encouraged. But the, the church is, it, it's, in, it's in two different, it has two different distinct views. It has, it's in two camps when it comes to spiritual gifts. Some believe that the miraculous gifts like prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, healings, discernment of spirits, and miracles have ceased. Okay, there, there are those, there are many believers and and let me let me say this there are many believers that love Jesus Christ that believe this okay and so I'm not questioning whether a person loves Jesus or not that that's not my issue we're, we're, we're just talking about what scripture says okay and and this group is convinced that the gifts were given temporarily to authenticate the, the apostles as trustworthy writers and authors of Scripture. Now, I want you to remember that, that. When you get to the basis of their argument, they are arguing that these gifts were there so that they, those men that wrote Scripture could prove that they truly were apostles. Okay? And we're going to see what Scripture says about that in a few minutes. Uh, once the last apostle died... Or and, and there's some difference in opinion in this camp. Or once the scriptures were canonized, that means that the books that we find in our New Testament today were officially recognized as scripture. Once that happened, then these miraculous gifts, uh, they just, they kind of disappeared. Now that belief has a name, and it's called cessationism, okay? They believe that those gifts have ceased, and so they're, they, they're believed. Many of us came out of Baptist churches that believe that, or Presbyterian churches that believe that. There are a few Methodist churches that believe that, but, but John Wesley did not teach that. He didn't believe that, okay? So there's the cessationist side. They believe that the miraculous gift, have ce- they have ceased, that their, their purpose was to validate the apostles, to authenticate the apostles because they were going to write scripture, okay? Now, the other position believes that all the gifts of the Spirit, including the miraculous, will continue in existence until the Lord Jesus returns at the second coming, okay? They believe that all the gifts are necessary for the body of Christ to, to reach full maturity in Jesus Christ. 
Now, this belief is called continuationism, okay? I mean, we're going to get away from this, these names, because I hate labels, okay? But we got the ceasing of the gifts or the continuing of the gifts. That's basically the argument. Do, do they continue or have some of them ceased? Now, uh, this position was held, uh, that they continued, was held by the early church for almost 400 years, okay? Now, if if I'm wanting to know which position is right, I'm going to go back to the earliest beliefs, and I'm going to start there, all right? The early church believes that the, believed that the gifts continued, and they did so for almost 400 years. And we'll find out this week and next week why things changed about 400 A.D. But traditionally, this view has been held by some Protestants, some Catholics. Uh, the Pentecostal and the Charismatic uh, groups have, have renewed this belief in this, in this uh, debate. But uh, the church is split. In its, in its belief in this area. It's, 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 it's split in its teaching, and it's, 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 it's split in the expression of the spiritual gifts. And because we're split in this area, what happens is the church often wages war against itself. Okay? Brother against brother, teacher against teacher, preacher against preacher, theologian against theologian, denomination against denomination. All right? And that's, that's what happens. And, and so what happens is we don't wage war on the enemy. We wage war on each other. And I could name names, and, and I, could, I could give you names on both sides of the camps, but listen, I'm just, that's not my heart this morning. Okay? I know this brother... Here, loves Jesus just as much as this brother or sister loves Jesus. So I, that, that's not the issue. The issue is the doctrine. Is the doctrine biblical or is the doctrine not biblical? And we're going to look at some things this morning. But what happens is when the church is divided, it can't stand. It can't do the things that it's supposed to. Jesus said this in, in Mark chapter 3, verse 24 and 25. He said, And if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Now, I want to I bring this down to us. Even in this house, okay, in this local body that, that called Eagles Wing that we're a part of, uh, between maybe what you were taught and, and what you've, heard, you've seen in others. And, and I understand that, okay, because that's where I was, all right? I, I was torn by, between what I had been taught and what I was reading in Scripture and what I was seeing and what I was experiencing, Okay? Now, I want you to understand something this morning. Doctrine in the church, biblical doctrine, is, is arrived at in three different ways. Out of Scripture, by deductive reasoning, and through experience. Scripture is the strongest way to develop a doctrine. Okay? Then comes deductive reasoning, and then comes experience. Okay? One of the reasons that... The cessationist point of doctrine came about is because there was no experience. And so they moved backwards to deduce why this was true and arrived at a biblical doctrine. But there is no scriptural 
basis for it. All right? I'm just, I'm gonna, I'm just going to waylay that axe right in there, use that sword right now. All right? But we're going to look at that this morning. But in this house, there, we're told that we've got two different positions. We're torn. We want to, we want to go with God no matter what. And, and what happens is we become open, but we're a little fearful. Okay? We're hungry, but we're a little cautious. And we're uncertain, but we're willing to consider. And you know what? I appreciate that. I appreciate that because I want you to test anything I say by what Scripture says. I don't want you to accept just anything I say is truth. All right? Is everybody, y'all all with me? Because I'm, I'm not infallible. I'm not inerrant. I've messed things up before. I've, I've believed things that I found later were not true. Okay? We all on the same page? All right. So, so test everything I say by what Scripture says. Don't just accept it. But what happens is, if, if we continue to waver between two positions, then you know what? We're not going to destroy the works of the devil in this community. We're always going to be, okay, I can't, yeah, okay, may I hold back. And, and there's going to be a, a fear of stepping out. We can't vacillate with indecision. We cannot continue to exist with one foot in the boat and one foot in the water. All right? Sooner or later, the boat leaves the water you're standing in. And you know what happens? You split. And you know what happens when you're split? You can't go with either direction. You're, you're, you're like a person that's tossed, as James says, that's tossed to and fro. We don't want to be tossed to and fro. We want to be like rocks planted. All right? And so the Word of God has to be our sole arbiter. It has to be where we draw our authority. It's the supreme authority on, on all doctrine and practice. Our belief system has to be based in and it has to stand on what the Word of God clearly teaches. Not what a beloved teacher, not what a preacher or a theologian or a church or denomination claims. Okay, And there's nothing wrong with denominations. There's nothing wrong with teachers and preachers. We just need to develop doctrine from what Scripture says. Okay, Because he is the source of all truth. Now, God's admonishment to us has not changed. This is what he says, and this is what the, the Holy Spirit says in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, handling accurately the word of God. Every one of us has a responsibility to find out what Scripture says. Well, you may say, well, hey, how in the world is that possible, Pastor? I, I, the Bible is too hard for me to understand. You know what? I don't know Greek. I don't know Hebrew. I've not been to seminary. Blah, 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 blah. Listen to me. And I love you, and I'm going to smile when I say, but that is an excuse that people give when they're too lazy to read the Scripture. Okay? We have the Scripture in our own language. And I'll just be honest with you. Whether you like the King James, or you like the New American Standard, or the English Standard Version, or the New Living Translation, they're pretty close translations to what the Greek and the Hebrews say. All right? God has made sure. 
All right? He's made sure. Or if a translation doesn't, it doesn't follow accurately, there's a big stink that, that usually happens and, and it disappears. And so God has given him, us his word. And, and I truly believe this about God. God makes what is necessarily and vitally important for the practice of our faith simple and easy to understand. All right? He really does. For by grace are you saved. It's not by works. Now, you don't have to be a Greek theologian to understand that. Anybody can understand that, you know what? It's not by what I do. It's not by the work I do. It's by God that I'm saved. It's through Jesus Christ. That, that's, that's simple. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, whosoever. What does whosoever mean? Whosoever means all of us. You don't need a Greek text to read that verse and know what it means. It, it, it's simple. It's plain. And, and I believe that when something as, that is as big an issue. I can't hardly talk this morning. When something is as big an issue as spiritual gifts, which enable us to do the things that Jesus did and the greater things that Jesus did, that he said we would do, if they were going to disappear, it would seem God would make it plain. All right? It it does to me. By the way, this is just for those of you who like history, but the books that we call our New Testament... The 27 books, or 26, is it 26, 27? Y'all help me. I'm going blank here. I think it's 27. Yes, it is. The 27 books we know as the New Testament. The early church argued and, and debated and, and for, for several hundred years. And finally, at the, at the Council of Carthage, they decided that the 27 books that we now have would be the Word of God. They were the New Testament. That happened in in 397, okay? Now, they argued for for almost 300 years. And and in some times, they fought, okay? We we think about being... uh, I appreciate what what, uh, my sister said a few minutes ago about us loving one another. But you know what? You read about the ancient councils, and, and they didn't all just come and have a business meeting. They brought their thugs with them just in case... The position they liked didn't carry the day. They could get rid of some of those votes on the other side. Y'all understand what I'm saying? We haven't always loved each other like Jesus loved, all right? There, there's been contention. My point is, is that when Martin Luther comes in the Reformation, there's five or six books in the New Testament he didn't think should be there. One of them was the book of James. He called it a straw man. He didn't like the book of Revelation. There were other books he didn't like. But you know what? It didn't change. All right? And so it's come down to us today with 27 books. The Old and the New Testament, the canon of Scripture. So when you hear the word canon, it means the official act of of making them, uh, canonizing something was to make it law, is the basic way to understand it. Now, God has has told us to check what the Word of God says because we can trust it. We can trust what it says. 
And we'll talk a little more as we go about inerrancy and inspiration, but not today. I want you to listen to what the Holy Spirit says in, in 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, all Scripture. What, which Scripture? All Scripture. All Scripture is inspired. That means it is, it is God-breathed. God breathed it on those men that wrote it. And the Holy Spirit used their personalities and he guided them to write down the scriptures. But all scripture is inspired by God. And if it's inspired by God, then it's inerrant. All right? It, it can't be have any mistakes. It's not wrong in what it speaks about. The records that it keeps are genuine and true. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man or the woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. How much of it is good for profit, for teaching? How much is, is profitable for reproof? How much of it is profitable correction? How much is it profitable for training? All of it? All of it. Okay? That means that not just the New Testament is profitable. The Old Testament is profitable. Not just the epistles of Paul are profitable not not but also the four gospels and the book of acts now the same people that would tell me that the gifts had ceased would say well you know what you can't build doctrine on the book of acts because it's a transitional book yes it is a transitional book but this passage says all scripture so i can build doctrine from the book of Acts. I can build doctrine from the gospel of John. I can build it from the book of James. I can build it from the Revelation. I can take any of the books that Paul wrote. And I can build doctrine. That's what that passage says. And, and here's, here's one that sometimes people want to argue with. Well you know what? What about the, the words in red? They're the ones Jesus spoke. I'm going to listen to them. Here's the ones I hear when people try to. to uh, I'm, I'm fixing to get way off the course here. But here's what people use to validate living a lifestyle that's not biblical. All right? Well, Jesus never said anything about that. Well, you know what? Paul did. Moses did. And they all spoke for the Holy Spirit. All right? All Scripture is, is, is given through the inspiration of the, of the Spirit. It's Scripture. I, I grew up being taught uh, the cessationist viewpoint. And listen, I could be a poster child for it, okay? I really could. Yeah, I mean, some of you that struggle with things that happened in your past, when I teach and when I preach and when I study, I struggle with what I was taught because those streams come back to me and they create doubt, all right? So I, I understand, but I could be a poster child for it. I know all the arguments. I could argue them. I believe I could argue some of you into that position this morning. I know the arguments so well. But listen, and I say this, I say this with love and with no malice. I was taught by godly men and women, okay? And I love them, and I hope they still love me. But you know what? They were teachers, they were preachers, they were professors who loved Jesus with all their heart. They also taught me how to study my Bible. They gave me the tools that I need to go in and see if something is true or not. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't take anything for that. I love them. I respect them. But in this one area, I believe they were wrong. When I would go from theology class 
There was a text that they would always, we would always use to prove that the gifts had ceased. Whenever we read that, that text, it, it just really wasn't clear. All right? It was kind of convoluted. And then when I would go to Greek class, the very verse that my theology teachers were using as a proof text didn't fit the, the meaning of the word, nor did the grammar fit. The, in other words, the rules of the language didn't seem to fit this particular teaching. Now, it wasn't just as cut and dried as I've been told it was in this class when I got to this class. So, I had been taught the literal, historical, grammatical method of interpretation. Now, what does that mean, Nelson? It means that if it says what it says, it probably means that. All right? It means that you have to take the historical setting that it was in and, and, and bring out the meaning. And it also means that you cannot take the grammar of the language that it was lit, written in and make it do funny things. You had to use the grammar. You had to use the tense of the words. You had to use the historical method. And you had to use literal. And, and what I learned was is if it makes sense with all three of those applied, then that's probably what God means. All right? Now... We have to take into consideration that God uses symbolic language in some places. All right? And it's very, most of the time, it's very obvious. It's, it's very obvious. The book of the Revelation, is, it's symbolic language from almost start to finish. And so we have to, we have to use, we have to use the, the language and we have to use the history of what those meanings were and what was going on. And we have to understand those symbols. But most of Scripture is, is, is written just like we talk. All right? When, when Paul writes, he writes in plain language. There's a few places in the book of Galatians he uses a, a metaphor. A, a, well, actually, he uses an allegory. And he tells us this is allegorical. Okay, this is symbolic right here. But for the most part, when he speaks, he speaks just plain, straight, so that we can all understand it. Well, you know, there was always this battle going on inside. Now, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm young. I don't know any better. This is all I've ever been taught. Okay, I'm going to go with it. Well, and I did, but there was always... You know, I could never make the grammar, the grammatical meaning, wed the theology that had been taught. Yet I've been taught that for 40 years. And then about 20 years ago, I began to, to really study the scriptures. I mean, not to take what Dr. So-and-so said or Pastor So-and-so who wrote this book or who was big in this denomination or who was an expert in this or that, I, I decided, you know what? I have the same tools they have. I studied the same Greek text they studied. I have the same Bible dictionaries. I have all that stuff. I know how to use them. I'm going to find out what it says and what God means. Okay? Now, having said that, I can make mistakes, all right? I'm not inerrant. I'm not infallible. But I decided I'd dig into those places and I would find out what God had said, not what I'd been taught. And listen, if God had meant the gifts to see, surely he would have said so. Amen? Okay, some of you believe he would and some of you don't. Listen, if he had meant them to cease, he would have said so. 
But there's not one verse that indicates any of the gifts have ceased yet. Not one verse. Remember, the cessationist argument is based on this. The miraculous gifts were given temporarily. I'm going to start over. The miraculous gifts were given temporarily to authenticate the apostles as trustworthy authors of the Holy Scripture. That's what they believe. Now, does Scripture teach that? Because if it doesn't teach that, then it can't teach what comes out of that. Y'all understand where I'm at? Okay. Now, nowhere in scriptures do the spiritual gifts are nowhere in scripture are the spiritual gifts said to authenticate an apostle. All right? Not one place. The Bible doesn't say that the miracles were, were the Bible does say that the miracles were were to authenticate the character of Jesus. And his relationship with his father. Okay. I'm going to give you some passages. Jesus said this in John 5.36. He said. But the witness which I have is greater than that of John. For the works which the father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I do bear witness of me. That the father has sent me. In other words. I'm doing these miraculous things. And you can rest assured. That I'm who I say I am. And that God the father sent me. That, that was the point. All right. In in John chapter 14, 11, this is what Jesus says. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe on account of the works themselves. In other words, take a look at my at my my resume, what I've done. There's not been anybody else that's done these things. Look at them and then make the decision. Am I who I say I am or not? Okay. And he says this in Luke eleven twenty. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Okay? Jesus was saying that these, these, these miraculous works that I've been doing verify that I'm the Messiah. I am the Son of the living God. Okay? That, that was the point of those miraculous works. And the, and the Bible also teaches that the purpose of the miracles were to authenticate the message about Jesus. All right. When the disciples began to go out and preach, they did the same things that Jesus did. So, hey, ding, they must know who he is and what is said about him must be true. All right. And that's the point of it. That was the major function uh, of miracles as far as the ministry of the apostles was was concerned. Mark 16, 20 says this. The Lord worked with them and confirmed the word. He wasn't confirming. See, that's a, that's a, you may say, well, that's just a, you know, that's just a little, that's a big deal. He was confirming the works that they did, that they were the works of Jesus, not that they were apostles. Okay. Also says this, the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word. By the signs that followed them. 
Listen to what the Bible declares about Paul and Barnabas when they were uh, in Iconium preaching. Is therefore they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace. He wasn't bearing witness to the fact that these were apostles sent by Jesus. He was bearing uh, 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 witness of the word of his grace granting that signs and wonders be done by their hands. That's Acts 14.3. Both of those texts confirm the, the words. They confirm the message of Jesus, not the apostles. The signs and the wonders don't testify to the apostles, folks. They testify to the message and the person of Jesus. And if we ever use them for any other reason, we are using them in a wrong way. Even today, those, those, those gifts verify that the message of Jesus Christ and who he is, he's the son of God, that they are true. All right? That, that's their purpose. That's why, they're, that's why they're here. With the coming of Jesus, God wanted all attention focused on Jesus. He, he, when, when, when Moses and, and Elijah appeared on the Mount of Trans, Transfiguration and, and Peter just lost his mind there for a few minutes and said, Lord, let me build three tabernacles. In other words, let me build three tents, Lord. God says, hey, this is my son. Listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to him. The primary task of the Holy Spirit is to what? Reveal Jesus. I mean, that's what he does. Everything that he does reveals Jesus. Who is, who is the, the one who empowers the gifts? Who gives the gifts? The Holy Spirit. Therefore, they are meant to demonstrate Jesus. To verify the message of Jesus. Listen, God's not interested in bearing witness to his servants. All right? None of us can save anybody. He's interested in bearing witness to the Son and the message that the Son preached. All right? Now that goes directly against the basic foundational belief of cessationism, which is that the miraculous gifts were given temporarily to authenticate the apostles as trustworthy authors of Scripture. Okay? None of the apostles who wrote Scripture appeal to miracles or gifts of the Spirit or signs or wonders to support their claim for what they wrote. Not one of them says, Paul an apostle who did bazillion miracles in Corinth writes this letter to the church at Corinth. He never does that. He just says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ to the church at Corinth. And he takes off writing. He doesn't, he doesn't seek to validate himself. There's not a, a verse that exists. The miracles are not a test for Scripture. I want you all to hear me on this because if we're not careful, we can get way out of bounds with spiritual gifts. They are not a, 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 a test for Scripture. Scripture is the test for the gifts. Okay, And Scripture has always been the test for for the gifts. If you go back to Deuteronomy, I'm not going to read this this morning, but I challenge you to read Deuteronomy 13, verse 1 through 5. Moses gives the, 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 the parameters for testing miracles. Okay? 
He, he, he basically says, listen, if those miracles validate somebody who's trying to lead you astray, they don't go. They're not from God. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. And there's also a, a, another problem with this idea that, that the gifts and signs and wonders and miracles were authentic, authenticating the apostles who wrote the scriptures. You know what? Not all the New Testament is written by apostles. Do you realize that? They're not all apostles. A genuine apostle, the twelve. Now there is a there is a level, okay? The twelve. One of them named Judas did what? He betrayed Jesus. He hanged himself. In the upper room before the Holy Spirit came. They discern by lots, which was a very common method of discerning the will of God, who was to replace him. There, there are 12 apostles. They're going to sit on a throne, and they're going to judge the nations of Israel. And there, there are none like them in that sense, all right? Because to be one of them, you had to have walked with Jesus from the day he began his ministry, okay? He had to have called you personally. And there are some other things. All right? there, there were only a few like that. Even the Apostle Paul doesn't meet all of that criteria. Yet he's an apostle. Y'all understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm not arguing that. But he wasn't with Jesus from the first day. All right? He had a special calling. I believe Jesus appeared to him. But he didn't meet all of the parameters that the 12. So I'm not talking about the 12. All right? Y'all with me? They, they occupy a place in the history of the church that's unique. And we'll talk more about this. But the reality is that not all the New Testament is written by one of those 12 men. In fact, those 12 men only wrote 21 of the books. And if you take the words, only 59% of the words of the New Testament were written by apostles. Now, some of the writers were non-apostles, and that can be four to five of them, and, and there's probably six books, and it depends on who wrote the book of Hebrews, okay? And there's 41% of the words that were written by non-apostles. So there's, an, there's another issue with the cessationist belief that the apostles, well, they, they fix that, okay? They say, well, they had to be close associates of the apostles. Okay, I mean, I'm not making light, I'm just giving you the argument, all right? Here's the deal, though. The ones that were non-apostles, there's no miracle. They, they have no recorded miracles. They have no recorded uh, signs that they did. Listen, Orthodox Christianity has long held that the authority of Scriptures does not rest on miracles or signs and wonders or gifts. The authority of Scripture rests on its author, who is Jesus Christ. Okay, and that, that's, just, that's what makes it orthodox. That's what makes it inerrant. You say, Nelson, why are you beating this dead horse? Because it's important that you understand. Listen, this is what 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received from us the word of God's message, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. 
It wasn't the word of men that was being preached. It was the word of God. Here's what the scriptures, here's what God's word says about the true purpose of spiritual gifts. And this is found in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11 through 13. It says, and he, Jesus, gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Now, if you were an apostle or a prophet or an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher, those were, those were uh, gifts of ministry that he gave to the church. But to be in that position, to be in that office, you had to have a spiritual gift. Of apostle. You had to have a spiritual gift of a prophet. You had to be able to prophesy. You had to have the spiritual gift of an evangelist. You had to have the, the spiritual gift of a pastor or a teacher. And the reason he gave those is for the equipping of the saints. For the work of the service. To the building up of the body. Until. So how long is this going to go on? Until. We all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. In other words, to sum those four or five phrases down until we all look like Jesus. Okay? I can only speak for me and I can only speak for my sister who spoke a few months ago. We ain't there yet. We're, we're still struggling to... To, to fill out the, the mold of Jesus. So in other words, those gifts couldn't have disappeared. Because if they disappeared, we missed the boat. I can go back to the very, I mean, you can go back to the very beginning of the church. They have always had issues. Follow it through history. Nobody has attained the maturity, the fullness of the unity of the faith. I mean, we're not united as a, as a church. And when I say that, the, the greater church, the church universal, there's 10,000 groups and splinter groups. I mean, we're not one yet. So therefore, the, it hadn't happened yet. It, it couldn't have happened yet. Now, here's a clear declaration that they won't disappear until all of us, not just a few, but all of us become one in the faith and fully mature in Christ. You know what? I truly believe that every one of us has yet a far way to go to reach that. Amen? Okay. I believe this. I don't believe we have an excuse for sinning. All right? Because now as a believer, we can make choices. But we still sin, don't we? Every one of us, okay? Well, you know when that will stop? When Jesus returns. When he comes. And in that moment when we see him face to face. And that transformation takes place. That sin nature will, will fall off. Those desires that, that we just can't get fixed will fall off. Right? Ultimately, I think that takes place... Uh, in, in, in when, the, when Jesus returns, a lot of people call that the parousia or the second coming. Now listen, that has been the orthodox teaching of the church since the very beginning. I think scripture gets even clearer. And here's the, here's the deba debated passage of scripture. It's found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8 and 12, through 12. Now, you may be saying, 1 Corinthians 13, isn't that the love chapter? Yes, it is. It is. We love the first half of it, but we stay away from the latter part of it, okay? Go to verse 8. 
Paul says he's writing. Now remember, he is writing to a church that is out of balance. It's out of balance in so many ways, but one of the ways is is with the gifts. It's gotten out of balance. And so he's writing to them, and he says, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away with. If there are tongues, they will cease. And if there is knowledge, it will be done away with. Okay, well, he says... There is a a potential in the future where prophecy and tongues and knowledge, you know, they're they're gonna they're gonna stop. All right. So that makes me okay. Well, I'm gonna read on and see where he says this. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. When I was a child. I used to speak as a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, just as I have been fully known. Now if you just read that, simply reading it with with no background, no understanding of the debate or the argument, but you know Jesus is going to return. What do you what do you take out of that? The first question you ask is, what's the perfect? I mean, what is the perfect? Well, from the beginning of the church, the interpretation of the perfect was the consummation of God's redemptive purposes as expressed in a new heaven and a new earth, which began with the return of Jesus Christ at his second coming. That's what they believed. Okay, that's what they wrote. They believed that the perfect was the second coming. The, the perfect is not masculine, it's not feminine, it's neuter in Greek. All right? I know that's probably more than you want to know, but that's the, that's the hinge of the argument. So it could be that, but it, maybe it could be something else. Cessationists believe that it's the canonization of Scripture. But this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7. He says to the Corinthian church, he says, So you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. See, he connects spiritual gifts with the second coming. He says, y'all got all the gifts. And y'all are eagerly awaiting Jesus to return. Now, the cessationists will use this This same verse is a proof text for their belief that the miracle. See, I'm struggling preaching this, even though I know it's true. There's a voice in my head that's going, you have just walked out on the edge of the plank and there's no way back. Okay, I'm, I'm telling you I'm hearing this. Okay, you've cut your rope, brother, and, and you're going to sail in a boat by yourself from now on. Well, listen, I'm going to go on, okay? They used that same text to argue that the gifts have ceased. They interpret the perfect as the canonization of Scripture. And once the canonization of Scripture is achieved, then the church no longer le- needs the miraculous gifts to authenticate the apostles as teachers and as preachers. Now, That view didn't start in the first century or the second century or the third century. You know where it began? It began in the 15th century when the Reformation kicked off. The Reformers had no experience. They didn't see 
any of the gifts used. They heard about them. They read about them because in the Catholic Church, if somebody could perform miracles when they died, guess what they were called? Saints. And so they react to that. I'm not getting close to that. They did the same thing with beautiful stained glass. And with with beautiful carvings that that were there to teach the people who couldn't read the gospel. They said, hey, those are idols. We're not to make any graven images. And many of them were destroyed. See, they reacted. They went way over here. Not in everything, but in some things. And so this belief arose... In the, in the 15th, well, in, in the 15th, uh, this, it would have been the, I guess the 16th, 15th century, with some of the reformers. And they were reading Augustine or Augustine, who was there when the, 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 the canonization of Scripture took place in 397 AD. At that point, Augustine, who was, who was a towering figure in church history and in doctrine, he, he didn't think any of the gifts, those gifts existed anymore. But 20 years later, he changed his belief. He recanted his belief. And he wrote that he had seen almost 100 instances. But you know what? Nobody goes back. They, they, you know, we tend to use what we want to prove what we believe. All right? You see that in politics. You see that in marriages. You see that in everything. So I'm not throwing rocks at Augustine. I'm just saying that they took his early arguments because he had a lack of experience and they didn't take his later arguments. And then at the beginning of the 20th century, a, 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 a theologian, his name is Benjamin Breckenridge Warfield, capsulized this. Okay? And it's out of his writings that it spread into Protestantism and into Baptist churches and Bible churches and, and, and Presbyterian churches and on and on and on it goes. This is the passage right here that I mentioned earlier that I simply couldn't, it just wouldn't wash in Greek class. It cannot mean the canonization of Scripture because in Scripture I don't see face to face. I will only see face to face when Jesus comes, right? I will only be known fully. I will only know him fully as he has known me fully when he comes. Now, I can learn tons about him and I can know a lot about him. But ultimately, I can't know him until he's there. If, if that were, if the other was true, then all I would need is this. When I got to heaven, I'd just go, and they'd say, come on in. Well, you know what? You can buy these anywhere. Okay? And I, I don't say that lightly. I don't, th- this book, folks, is the Word of God. Like, it's His revelation. This is how we know God. But this book is not what gets us to heaven. It's Jesus Christ. All right? It's, it's His message which is contained in this book. But it is ultimately Him. And so... I can't know him as, as he knows me, and I, I, I can't see him face to face. Now, you know what? I believe that all the gifts are still in operation. I believe they're all necessary for the church, and their purpose is to build up the body of Christ until we all reach maturity. And you know what? It's not because of my experience. 
I'm convinced because that's what Scripture teaches. All right? That's what it says. I, I didn't deduce this. I read it in Scripture. I, I didn't go and say, well, it can't be happening because I've not had an experience. Neither did I go to it and said, God, you know, I've, I've had this experience. I've got to find a proof text for it. That, that's not how Scripture works. All right? Scripture says what it says. And it's up to us to accept it or reject it. And so I came to this place not because of experience, not because of deduction, but because I believe that's what the Word of God says. Now, having said that, that's where each of you have to come to. You can't just take what I have said today and change your whole belief system. You have to go and you have to hold your belief system up to the light of Scripture. And if there's shadows and there's darkness, then my belief system is wrong. And I've got to believe what God says. Listen, I, I've got 25 volumes of the early church fathers in my office. They're every one this thick. And you know what? They all had some goofy beliefs. I've read John Calvin's The Institutes, okay? Nobody wants to read those, all right? I mean, I just say that. My professor in seminary made us read them, and he made us outline them for two hours of credit, okay? It took me the whole semester to get that book read. John Calvin argues for a hundred pages that baptizing babies is biblical. It's not. All right? It's not. But he argues that way. He was wrong in some things. Martin uh, argued against the, the book of James because he just couldn't make it work uh, because James says, hey, you got to work. Your salvation is proved by your works. And he knew that, that other places said that, 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 that salvation is by grace. And, and he couldn't make it work in his head. So he just said, I don't care for that book. It shouldn't be in the Bible. He was wrong. Every preacher or teacher who has ever stood before a class or a, a congregation has taught some wrong stuff. That's just reality. I know there are those that will tell you they haven't, but, you know, they have. They have. And so I'm not saying take what Nelson says today and just swallow and drink the Kool-Aid. I'm saying go home and read the text yourself. And read them in a literal, historical, grammatical way. And if they make sense, they make sense. If I have to make something, if I have to deduce back to something to make a verse say something, I don't have a lot of proof. If I have to prove what I believe by my experience, I have no proof. But if Scripture says something one time, all right, one time, that's enough. That's how much I trust this book. This is how much I believe this is the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God. I'm not basing what I'm teaching today on what I think or what I feel. I'm teaching it on what I believe God's Word says. Now, if Scripture doesn't support the doctrine, then you know what? I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I, I, I won't preach it. I won't teach it. My experience or my life experience has, can't be the final arbitrator of what I believe. The Word of God has to be that. Now, 
I hope I have not muddied the water up today. All right? There's two beliefs. And I'm telling you, you get in a, a, a theological debate with somebody who believes the other way, and they'll argue you into the ground. All right? I'm just telling you they will because they, they, they believe this. But if you get somebody on this side that really believes this, they can answer the arguments. And they'll argue back. And you know what? Here's, what? here's what I can say. I can still love those people that believe this. Because I'm not going to argue with them anymore. It's not who wins the argument that gets into heaven. I'm supposed to love that brother. I'm supposed to love that sister. So I'm not going to argue them. I'm not going to call them names. I'm not going to name their names. I'm just going to disagree. We're going to agree to disagree. The word of God says, don't just see about what the word of God says today, but when anybody stands in this pulpit and preaches, make sure what they say matches up with the word of God. And if it doesn't, throw that away. Okay? All right? Listen, this book was written to proclaim Jesus, not his apostles. Not us. This book proclaims Jesus Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord of Lords. He's the King of Kings. Okay? And you know what? He loves us. There are churches that preach one side that are doing wonderfully. They're seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people come to Christ. There are churches that believe the other way, and they're seeing hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands uh, come to Christ. All right? I can't change their beliefs. But you know what? I know what I believe. That's up to you. To believe what the Bible says. Not to believe necessarily what you believe. If, if what the Bible teaches is that's what you believe, then God bless you. If you've accepted something just because Pastor Puff and stuff said this or Dr. Know-it-all said that, that's not good enough. All right? In case God asks you at the, at the gate... You, you can't say, well, Pastor Puffin stuff said this. Dr. Know-it-all said this. That won't wash, okay? I'm just telling you. You know, <laughs> Jesus is my life. That's a, I got to know what Jesus said. I got to know what, what the Holy Spirit said, okay? All right, I'm done. How do you give an invitation after that? You don't, all right? But here's the deal. The reality of having said everything I've said is that, you know what? God loves us enough to give us exactly what we need to live the way he's called us to live. All right? We don't have to argue about that. He loves us enough that he would die for us. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, no matter what we've done, no matter how many names we've called people driving down the road, no matter, I mean, I... Friday, I put a dishwasher in in my house. I tell, I'm going to tell this story and I'm going to be done. I put a dish. Dishwashers are not like they used to be. I can, I can honestly say this. I have put thousands in. All right? I mean, I'm not kidding. I've put thousands of them in. The one I got to put in my house was not like the thousands I've put in. I bet I pulled it out 20 times. I had to go down to the barn 
20 times to get tools. I finally got to the last, I slid it in, I was making the last connection, and the water connection had this little bitty flat rubber washer that fit on this eighth of an inch bevel place that just barely hung on. And so I'm getting it up under the cabinet, I'm fixing to go up, and my elbow hits something, and that thing goes... It disappears into 500 spray cans, wash bottles, all the stuff we hide under our sink. I've been in there for six. It hit the floor, and I just started to scream. And I just screamed until I, it all got off of me, all right? And then I sat there, and I, I, didn't, I couldn't do anything else. I mean, I had to look for it. So I had to pull stuff out. And look for it. There was no other way. I finally found it. I made the connection. And I got through. I'm just saying this. Look, I, I'm the, I have struggled with the same thing y'all do. All right? Maybe worse. All right? Hit a deer on Thursday. That's a blessing. Okay? So I live in the same place as y'all live. All right? You want me to go on? I, 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 but you know what? Jesus loves me. He really does. He must love me a lot because he puts up with that stuff. Guess what? He puts up with the stuff you're in. I didn't get the deer. The deer kept going. (laughs) He left me with about $800 worth of stuff, okay? Jesus loves us, folks. He died for us. And he didn't leave us lacking anything to do anything he called us to do. He's not only sufficient in our salvation, he is sufficient in our sanctification, which means becoming like him. All right? And we are supposed to go out in this world and be little Jesuses, little Christ, which means I'm supposed to do what he did, whether I believe that or not. I'm not just supposed to tell the message that he told. I'm supposed to demonstrate it with my actions, whatever that means. And folks, the only way we can do that is through the gifts that he's given us to make sure that we could do what he did. He's empowered us. Now, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And we're going to go. Okay? If you're here today, you don't know Jesus, don't leave. All right? Just just come up and grab me by the arm. I'll sit down with you. I'll stay as long as I need to do. He loves you as much as he loves me. Okay? He done exactly what he's done for me. He's, he's done for you. Let's pray. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.